The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. Builder breakdown, construction stocks seeing their worst day since February as rising rates take a hit on the sector. But is this shaky foundation just the start of more trouble to come? Plus, tipping point as the Disney charter carriage dispute continues. One Wall Street firm wonders if this will be a defining moment for legacy TV at the end of the bundle as we know it. We'll debate that. And later, Airbnb's extended stay, giving it a boost. The high times for the weed trade rolling on. And one pharma company's bottom line could get skinnier from the obesity drug boom. And that's not a good thing. I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from a brand new set here in Studio B at the NASDAQ. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Carter Worth, and Guy Adami. Gorgeous set here. Amazing. Like on a new rocket ship. I mean, oh, we're going to take uh, off at any exciting. moment, right? Yeah. It's awesome. They did an amazing job. The, yeah. Now, we get to sit here and enjoy this beautiful set, but this is eight months of work from our crack staff back in D.C. And the folks here at the Nasdaq, they're the ones that should get all the praise here. But with that said, yes, guy. the sound system in this place <laughs> we kicks were, yeah. ass. We were we, easy. Come on. Why do you have to do that on the first no, day? Just like old times here. Thanks in dire straits pregame. That no, yeah. was good. But, yeah, commercial breaks are fun. They're a lot always more fun are. these days, but the show is going to be even better with the brand new bells and whistles that we've got here. And we'll show them to you as the uh, weeks go on here. We start off tonight, though, with rates resuming their run higher. The yield in the 10-year Treasury is hitting two-week highs after their recent pullback. The two-year climbing back toward 5%. This move putting pressure on stocks to start the holiday shortened week. The Dow falling almost 200 points. The S&P and Nasdaq also closing lower. And take a look at oil prices. Crude now at a 10-month high after rising more than 1% today. The move higher coming after Russia and Saudi Arabia extended supply cuts until 2024. The dollar also higher with the greenback at its best level since March. So what do these moves tell us as we head into the fall? So let's get this straight. Rates up, oil up, dollar up, guy. Stocks should be down. Yeah. And it's great that Carter's here always. But you know, last week he showed us some amazing charts. I think he had five and two, fives, tens. And I think 30-year yields all bouncing, trading up to resistance level and failing. But here we are. I think the story is rates, I've thought, for a while. Ten-year back above four and a quarter percent is a big deal. Oil going higher, Tim can speak to this, is a big deal. Both of them going up, well, at least yields for the wrong reasons. Yields are not going up because our economy is magically getting better. They're going up because I think you have to pay people a higher rate of interest to buy our debt. That's problematic. Yeah, and, and the dollar is fascinating because uh, you could make an argument that this was the most crowded trade, short dollar, uh, a lot of pain here, or at least a lot of people wrong on this trade, including me. I, I just, you know, I feel like the dollar, if you look at central bank differentials, has to weaken at some point. But the, the most telling thing about this market is that, yeah, I get all the underperformance we've had in some of the more cyclical stuff, especially since rates started moving higher. Big tech is leading the way again. And if you look at a chart of the outperformance of the semiconductors index, the SOX, or you could look at the SMH, it's, it's a chart that most people would want to buy, especially if you look at that long-term average. I mean, if you look at this chart, that's a 10-year chart on this thing. You can basically see that even through this most recent move, and we've had some rockiness over the summer, 
as long as semiconductors and triple Qs or NASDAQ 100 are leading the market, the market's going to go higher. It may not be the kind of strength and breadth that people want to see, but we've had times to test that over the summer. Until that ends, the market's going to go higher despite what yields are doing. Karen? I sort of think the yield thing is really a problem, actually, to markets. So not to disagree with Tim, but I think that to your point, supply, whether that's government supply, which we've talked about, I think there's also a lot of corporate supply. So you have pressure on the curve. And then obviously we always talk about, you know, it's just math, right? As those rates go higher, then the, then the high multiple stuff should get cheaper. I think that's going to happen. The other thing really was home building, which I know we'll get to more, but this is just, I, I do feel like it hit some sort of point, actually shorted some today of the XHB, just as a broad, you know, it's home builders and building materials and stuff like that, because I do think we're actually now with the pressure on the consumer and housing prices where they are and mortgage price, mortgage costs where they are, we're at a little bit of an inflection point. Right. It gets that whole consumer problem, particularly in the back half of the year as we head into the holiday span. We've got student loan repayments that got started again. We've got people just paying higher interest rates across the board. And then people, if they cannot tap the equity in their home, what good is that equity in their home if they do uh, you know, hit a speed bump here. You say the rates have capped. Yeah, I'm in the camp that they, even if they were to make slight new highs, you're not going to have an important move higher in rates. But what is remarkable about this strength in the dollar is that you have um, sugar bringing out to multi-year highs, orange juice, you've got cocoa, and of course crude with a strong dollar, ignoring it completely. Yeah. It's, it's, to some extent, that commodity moves, which is an inflation thing, um, is important. We shall see about rates and how much more they can go. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating that you're getting that move in crude because, you know, every 1% move in the dollar typically is a 3 to 4% move in oil prices. And, and I get that OPEC is and OPEC plus is, is showing some uh, some accord. I would just point out two things. I, I don't love mega cap tech because of multiples or anything. In fact, I, I think the markets are, are looking very toppy. And I think there's major divergence between the leading indicators and the forward PE and all the things we talk about. I'm just going to say that in a world where we're challenged by growth and, and higher, you know, higher rates are going to hurt a lot of other companies. Mega cap tech stocks, once again, are the ones that tend to outperform. Um, and, and at the same time, we were talking just three, four weeks ago about the breadth in the market. And right now, if you look at industrials have underperformed the, the, the S&P by about 7% since October. Transports, actually about 4%. Transports by 7%. Small caps today. Those moves today were pronounced, and they show you how the market is going to react to higher rates. So it's hard to argue with that. And to some extent, yeah. the, the move in the queues, remember, it's, it's outperformance, but it's making up underperformance. The queues since the market peak are still underperforming the market. So go back to October of a year and a half ago, meaning this big move is simply making up for the losses preceding it. Whereas S&P dropped 27% from its peak, QQQ dropped 37%. We're still undoing that week. But, but what about the fact that the semis, to me, again, on a relative basis, are right back up near that high? In other words, they, they, there have been a couple periods of underperformance, but, but, but you know, basically near all-time highs against the S&P. And, and that, to me, has been kind of the nitrous part of the Q's trade. Well, for sure. I mean, semis are acting better. Or, or this, the biggest tech of all, Apple, its relative performance to the sector peaked almost a year ago. It was September 30, uh, a year ago. Apple, the biggest of all. So does that necessarily, I mean, so... Well, but so the then point is that it's not with? all tech, right? It's right. case because I mean, Apple dropped almost 18% recently. It's bounced, but it's yep. peaked to drop drawdown. The market was only down six. So it, it's case by case. The question is, is it right to favor tech from here? Because right. it's all about from here. Or not. My hunch is I don't think tech um, is an overweight at this point. 
I would either be equal weight or under. We, we, we've heard a lot of people, though, um, for a long time say don't favor tech. The, the multiples are getting too high. The trade is too hot. You know, the run is too steep. And yet this is where we are. This, is, this seems like the sector you want to be in. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. Tim brings, it makes a great point. So the SMH, if you want to use that, made an all-time high, I think, November of 2021. Sold off, obviously, like everything else. Got back up there at the end of July. And it looked like we put in a classic double top, sold off on the back of NVIDIA, and here we are back at 157. That is absolutely worth watching. I'll try to answer your question and say the higher rates go, the more expensive these stocks get. And at a certain point, I think you'll see a rotation out. And energy is going to be, again, be the beneficiary of all of this. Yeah, you're saying that it's a problem. Rates, high rates are a problem for the tech trade. So yes. are you starting to pair back? Well, I, I did sell some NVIDIA and sold some calls. But I think that we talk about things aren't a monolith necessarily. So I still think a name like Google and Meta, it's in the tech trade for sure. But it's not anywhere near the multiple. I mean, Microsoft. Google's, multi- right? Google's told of the mega cap techs. Google's taken over leadership. You're right. So, um but I'm not going to trade around it if I still really like the story, which I do for Google. It is 20 plus times, 23, four times, but I'm sticking with it. All right. Well, our next guest sees a bullish signal in the bond move. Savita Subramanian is the head of U.S. equity and quantitative strategy at Bank of America Securities. Savita, great to have you with us. Welcome to our new set here at Studio B in the Lovely. NASDAQ. Yeah, thanks for <laughs> having me. First guest ever. Quite an honor. <laughs> I know. Not an accident. <laughs> so so what, what is that sign, that bullish sign in the bond the market? bullish sign in the bond market. Well, I mean, 10-year yields are rising, and, and I think everyone's interpreting that, including myself, as, as a lot of different factors like supply, demand. There's a lot of supply supply coming online. And then meanwhile, China, the Fed, BOJ are no longer buying. So that's bearish for bonds. But I think it's also potentially a nascent sign of something positive happening, which is that companies are now refocusing on efficiency and productivity rather than juicing up earnings through levered buybacks and, you know, cheap financing costs. And what what surprises me is that when you look at the equity risk premium and multiples on stocks, you tend to see investors willing to pay a higher multiple for companies that are actually focused on efficiency. And they're fi- companies are now finally focused on efficiency, and they have new tools. They have AI. They have automation. So I actually think there are a lot of reasons to be bullish about growth in the U.S. rather than just you know, yields are moving up and this is like death to equity. <laughs> so. I think the last time you were here on Fast Money, yeah. you had said something to the effect of, I'm the most bullish I've been in forever. In years, at in least years. since uh, the global financial crisis. Because I think that what we know now is, I mean, maybe we don't see as strong of returns from here, but we see more real returns. And I think that we're past this experiment of QE and zero interest rates and negative real rates and all of this really kind of unnerving stuff that has been hard to allow us to actually value equities appropriately. We're now at a point where earnings are still positive. They're, you know, we're seeing companies actually um, you know, focusing on labor efficiency because labor inflation is showing up. So I think that we're at a point where productivity, which is something that nobody really thinks about anymore because we didn't really have it for a while, um, that's actually going to be driving the next leg of the, the bull market. It's interesting. You talk about no more free money. Companies have to be more efficient, which yeah. is a great thing. I agree with that. But at what point, if any, does this lag effect of higher 18 rates. months of higher rates kick in? I think it's already starting to show up. But I think what's interesting is if you look at the S&P 500, and this is not true for any other equity benchmark, 
companies have actually gotten very disciplined about leverage. And I think that's the lesson that everybody learned in 08. And even consumers have gotten disciplined. So if you look at the U.S. consumer and the U.S. corporate, they've basically locked in long-dated fixed-rate debt obligations. So this is all going to be bad and net negative, but there's a while to figure out how to grapple with this. And then moreover, I think what's interesting is that if you look at sectors like industrials and energy and financials, companies that usually expand capacity during bull markets, these are companies that were denied capital for the last 10 years and have gotten very, very lean and disciplined and are now at a better position to handle a higher interest rate environment. So I don't know, I, I look at the market right now and I look at even you know the average consumer and back in OA, there were a much higher percentage of homeowners that had farms or you know adjustable rate mortgages. Today, just 15% of homeowners have adjustable rate mortgages, which is a whole other problem because now nobody's willing to mm -hmm. walk away from their homes and that's why we have this shortage of single family. So, you know, again, I don't think it's just gravy forever, but I do think that we're at a point where we have some visibility on what the Fed is going to do. They've already done a lot of the hard work. We're at, you know, 5% on short rates. I think we should be happy about that because that means we have some, you know, some, some uh, latitude to ease our way in the next downturn. And then on top of that, we've got consumers that are still relatively well capitalized, maybe not as well capitalized as after they got a bunch of free money, but they still have relatively solid balance sheets. So let me ask you something, you, just to touch on something you said, which is about greater efficiency to come, right? We saw yeah. Meta, I don't, you don't talk specific stocks, but we saw the effect of oh, the year of efficiency, and we've seen it for a number of companies. But we haven't seen it from a lot of others yet. Right. Do you think that that is still a really meaningful amount of juice, I guess, Runway. for the market. Yeah, I, I, think, I think there is still a lot of room to get efficient. I mean, I fully expect to be replaced by chat GPT or a robot Never. at some point, you know, hopefully not for a be. while, but I need to put my kids through college first. But, um, you know, I think that there are there are aspects of corporate that can be made much more efficient, through, especially the services industry. You're seeing this with restaurants. Our analyst on, on restaurants um, has been writing a lot about, you know, what the new kitchen looks like. There's a lot less people and, you know, a lot more automation. And I think there's room to do this across the board. Um, that doesn't bode well for you, Guy, long. by the way, the kitchen with less people in it <laughs> and just... No, you like to cook, right? I do. Oh. I mean, so I'm well, just, you I'm, could I'm still worried. You know, He worked you know, at Shake Shack. I, yes. well, I worked at Shake Pizza Hut. Yeah, Shake, I mean, so I'm all oh, over the place. The anyway, please continue. I mean. <laughs> but no, I do think it's a longer term story. I think AI is part of it, but not all of it. Um, you know, I, I just think that we've had this wonderful period for the last 20 years where we could, didn't have to worry about labor inflation. We could just move stuff to cheaper areas of the world. And now we're moving stuff back to the U.S., but we're thinking about how to do things, you know, how to do more with less, which I think is really bullish for margins, for multiples. I mean, investors are much more willing to pay a high multiple for a company that has improved their operational efficiency than a company that just borrowed a bunch of free money and bought right. back a bunch of shares. All right. Savita, great to see you. Thank you so much for coming great by. Great to be here. Savita. Thanks yes. for having and me. Bank of America, which gets back to Apple. Tim, 
Maybe Apple's multiple is warranted. Well, I don't think it is. And, and I, I actually, you know, I'm one of these people that, that thinks Apple's one of the great companies of all time. And it's, it's a very easy uh, company to hold when you consider what they can do capital markets wise. But I and I look, you know, and Carter talks about it, like what what Apple has done over the last year is it's a struggle, right? Um, relative to the market. Um, what Apple and Microsoft have done over the last three weeks is pretty impressive. Microsoft's back over the 50. Um, there is some sense that, you know, what looked like um, a real challenge straight down uh, to the 100 day is something that we have to watch. I just think the biggest challenge with um, rates may be higher, we may be more productive, but uh, the market multiple right now is the biggest problem I have. Um, trading it 20 times forward. I mean, one thing it gets down to also, of course, is, is money flow. We know there's $5 trillion in the money markets. And as long as rates are going to stay here, I don't see what gets that money moving into the equity market, because that is something that would help the bullish case. And for now, it's not, it's not leaving, right? right. You look at the every, we're at record levels. I think it sits there. All right. Coming up, trouble in the charts. Restaurant stocks have been feeling a little heartburn recently, and the chart master spotting even more trouble in the kitchen. The names you may want to 86 from your portfolio mm. next. Mm. Plus, Airbnb and Blackstone getting a promotion. Shares jumping as the stocks get ready to join the S&P 500. What the move could mean for these names when fast money returns. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Consumer discretionary may be one of the best performing sectors in 2023, up more than 30 percent since January. But the chart master sees trouble ahead for one pocket of the group. So, Carter, which pocket would that be? Sure. So I thought we'd take a look at restaurants and we've got several charts and we can just bang through them. Um, and the point here is that restaurants versus retailers, right, versus all the stores like Urban Outfitter and Gaps, they have basically tripled the market's performance. Um, XRT being the ETF that captures um, a broad swath of retailers versus restaurants. And you see it here on your screen. So on a 10-year basis, again, the S&P 1500 restaurant, all of those names that you know and more, 20 names in fact, um, a tripling of uh, the orange line, which of course is XRT, and that's every retailer you can think of. Now, if we look at the actual chart of the restaurant um, sub-industry group itself, we've got three of those. It tried to make a new high and couldn't do it, one way to draw the lines. Another way, of course, is that we've broken the uptrend line in effect since the COVID low. So you put them together, 
the third of three. And what you see here is, a, is an industry group that made a double top, couldn't break out, and is now breaking uh, below this uh, trend line. There you see it. But let's look at individual restaurants because they're all doing the exact same thing. Again, this was the get out of the house, go, to, go and eat outside COVID story. And now all of these individual restaurant stocks are starting to break down. And we can uh, pull them up one at a time. Uh, but the first you'll see here's Darden. That's a well-defined uptrend. And that is a break-in trend. Uh, and you'll see the next. Uh, it's the exact same circumstance. And so we've got McDonald's here. Uh, same thing, a break-in trend. And the relative performance is, is disastrous versus consumer discretion. Uh, keep going. We've got others. There are three more, in fact. Texas Roadhouse. It doesn't matter which one you pick. That's the thing. The, the charts are all the same. We have Yum here, I believe, um, um, among the last two. Wingstop and then, and then Yum. And so the question is, this area, which again tripled the performance of retailing in general, is it a champion that's now rolling over? I think it is. We're seeing it in the casino stocks. All these experienced stocks, the sort of get out of the house COVID stocks are all on the ropes. Mm. So, McDonald's, Tim, you would think that there's a trade-down effect that would help a name like McDonald's in particular out of this group. There's no question. And, and McDonald's has invested massively in efficiency and innovation and the things that have given them the ability to, especially through COVID, to, to take market share. If you think about uh, the comps they had in the U.S., they had 12.6, I think, in Q1. They had 11.5 uh, in Q2 as a follow-up. I'm just not sure they can do it. So I, I was slowly um, selling upside calls and getting called away in McDonald's from 275 up to 300. Um, I'd like to buy it lower. I think I'm going to get it lower. Um, not because of anything they're doing wrong. Carter's making great points about that group. I, I think it's going to be tough for the spend to look like it did for the last 12 months. So, Carter, when you see all these charts and they're all the same and they're all breaking below trend line, mm -hmm. where do you think that, where do they find support? Well, it's, each one is, of course, different in that sense. But the question is, having had that much outperformance versus Foot Locker, and you can pick all the ones that are so horrible, Target. Is I'm this, familiar with yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, we all have a few of those. But but the point is, after having that much outperformance, is this underperformance still young, nascent, and i.e. more to go? To your to your question, I think yes. How much more? I have no idea. But I definitely want to be underweight or short the group. Darden, it's interesting. Carter brings that up. Classic potentially now double top. If you look down big today on seemingly no news, like a lot of these other stocks. That's, con that's concerning because valuation isn't ridiculous in a DRI. It's not crazy for McDonald's either historically. It's amazing, though, that valuation hasn't caught up to my personal favorite. CMG. CMG. It hasn't. It's the only place you can go it's when someone starts a, with that. Pre, right. you know. Well, no, but it's, it's remarkable that it hangs in. It's, listen, at some point, somebody's going to care. Nobody cares right now, seemingly, about valuation. Well, I mean, to Savita's earlier point, you know, a company that executes. They execute. Right. That's what you pay up for in this environment, efficient companies. But when you're talking about a 2x for some restaurant, you know, three, at a certain point. It's 45 to 55 stopped. times is where it's traded for the last four years. And I couldn't have been wrong. I mean, it's just this is one that continues to defy gravity. I think if the consumer gets stretched, like this is a place that has to be weak. But what about I, I, Wingstop, that's it, 80 times, right? So is Wingstop 80 times yeah. now? Wow. I mean, that's rich. It's a it's a. It's a one, kind of you go there for, for one wings. thing. But. Yeah. Well, if you do that one yeah. thing, great. I mean, like, it, maybe it's worth it. I, I don't know. It. I, no I don't idea. know. <laughs> You've been, don't lie to I've the audience. Been, you haven't I'm, been to Wingstop. No, but no, I remember we, interviewing the CEO the day of its IPO. No kidding. 
Yeah. What we went to Buffalo Wild Wings yeah. one time. No, yeah, we, we, yeah, we, we did. We, we, did. Did. we all did. Buffalo yeah. Wild Wings and Wings. Group out there. Tell a quick story. Same we have time. <laughs> no, because Tim ordered a drink. Remember? As I, as I might. As as I yes, send, I send it okay. back. Is what do you back? think they were doing backstage <laughs> at the kitchen? It was an awful margarita, okay? I happen to be hey, you're, a, you're, a perfectionist. Yeah, yeah. It was terrible. Anyway, it back. we digress. Coming up, two new additions to the S&P 500, Blackstone and Airbnb moving up to the big leagues. But can the stocks keep their gains coming? That trade is next. Plus, Zscaler on the move after reporting results. We'll bring you the latest details out of that quarter ahead. You're watching Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq market site in New York City. Back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks. Kicking off the short week on a down note, the Dow dropping almost 200 points, the S&P 500 shedding about 20 points, and the Nasdaq down about a tenth of a percent. Two big winners, though, Airbnb and Blackstone surging. On news, will be the newest members of the S&P 500. That goes into effect on September 18th. And in the after-hour session, shares of Zscaler giving back earlier gains. The cloud security company beat on the top and the bottom lines and gave better-than-expected guidance. Shares right now are slightly lower. Your pick, Guy, which which? Well, I mean, Zscaler been expensive for nobody when nobody cared about valuation the stock was off to the races now everybody seems to care it's under pressure it's a good company too expensive airbnb is sort of interesting here actually now if you again it's hard for me to say the consumer is rolling over and be positive airbnb but you could probably make a pretty bullish argument for airbnb given where it was given where it is now and given some of the seemingly tailwinds they have yeah, how does it look, Carter? Yeah, I mean, it's it's bottoming of sorts. My, my favorite of those three would be Blackstone. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, that's a well-defined bearish to bullish reversal, and I think that's the one to go with of this. Bunch. When you get this kind of news, though, about an S&P inclusion, yeah, help people understand what the, what does that mean? Nothing. Has it been priced in? Uh, it, it, because Blackstone's had a pretty big move over the last couple of days on that announcement, so it seems. Right, but it's also, if you look at it versus KKR versus Apollo, so Blackstone has been... Uh, acting well. But to your point, I mean, of course, uh, 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 an artificial move or a news-related move that has nothing to do with the operating company is just that, artificial. And there are people who have to jockey to get shares bought because they're index players. But after that, it all cools off. Coming up, drama in the streaming space. Disney pushing customers toward its Hulu Live plan as its feud with Charter Communications drags on. All the grievances from both sides ahead. And believe it or not, the fire has not gone out in Podstock's group continuing to rip higher on hopes for a major reclassification of marijuana. What the options pits are seeing now when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. There's a case of the broadcast blues going around. Disney and Charter Communications locking in uh, their battle over contract fees with ESPN and other channels going dark for nearly 15 million customers over the weekend. But could this latest conflict be the beginning of the end of the cable bundle? CNBC's Julia Borson's got the details. Julia. Well, Melissa, we'll have to see how quickly they resolve this or if they do resolve this. But today, Charter shares lost over 3% and Disney shares lost about a half a percent as these two companies' negotiations continue. And Charter's nearly 15 million subscribers remain without access to Disney's channels, including ABC and ESPN. That means missing college football and the U.S. Open Djokovic playing today. Now, last night, Disney launched a new consumer-focused campaign to push consumers to its own TV bundle, Hulu with Live TV, while Charter is helping its customers find alternatives 
to help keep them from cutting the cord. Spectrum is offering its customers 30% off Fubo TV for two months, including the NFL Red Zone, as well as ESPN. That deal sending Fubo, share, Fubo shares spiking today up nearly 10%. But the pressure is on both companies right now to settle in time for the return of Monday Night Football. That's on ESPN and ABC, and it starts Monday. Bank of America writing, quote, there's a significant urgency for these negotiations as the longer it drags out, the more customers Charter will lose and the less likely they are to come to terms with Disney. Now, if Charter did end up losing ESPN and Disney for good, that would have massive implications, not just for Disney, but for the whole pay TV business, not to mention the impact it could have on Charter's pay TV subscribers. Melissa. Julia, thanks. Julia Borston. It's hard to think about who is the winner, who has the leverage in this negotiation. You own Disney, so what do you think? I, I think Disney does, but Disney doesn't have a whole lot of leverage anywhere right now. And if you think about the impact on the affiliate fees and the advertising revenue, and you know, you can figure out what percentage of that they would lose. Um, it means Disney, you know, loses two billion that they they can't afford to lose right now, as they're going to have to be bidding for NBA properties. They they want to pay a dividend. I mean, there's there's a lot of trickle down dynamics for Disney, and frankly, it's not it's not a win for them. But no winner. I mean, yeah. there's there's one winner stock-wise. It's Netflix. I mean, we should probably have a guy like Tom Rogers on to discuss it. But <laughs> Netflix continues to do the grind higher. And it's amazing how Disney, it's levels we didn't even see during the COVID. It's, it's remarkable how poorly it trades. So you'd like to think they have leverage at some point. It's clear they have none. I mean, how do you think about a name like Disney if this is sort of accelerated, the move to direct-to-consumers fully accelerated, and that's where we jump to? Right. Not, not I don't think very highly of it, actually. So I actually sold my stock on Friday when this first happened. I just thought, all right, I had hoped it would bounce off of that Iger really talking down that quarter. Mm -hmm. And they had not a terrible quarter. I thought that was maybe the bottom. It wasn't. This, I do think, is a watershed moment. You know, Winfrey of uh, Charter was saying, you know, this is not like other carriage disputes. And I believe that. Yeah. So I don't want to be long waiting to see how that plays out, because I think, to your point, no winners. For more, let's bring in CNBC contributor Tom Rogers. He's mm. the current Newsweek editor-at-large and first NBC cable president. Tom, great to have you with us. Great to be here. Congrats on the new set. Thank you. We are <laughs> loving it so far, 35 minutes in. <laughs> great. Um, but wa I want to get back to this topic here. And, Tom, how do you view this? Because it does seem like this could have massive implications in terms of the future of legacy TV, how, how this negotiations go. Oh, I, I agree with that uh, completely. Uh, to steal uh, one of Guy's favorite terms, I think Disney has gone from uh, stud of the media space to uh, to dud. Uh, it did not need this fight right now. Uh, it's got uh, so many deals in front of it that it has to do. The Hulu Comcast deal, the uh, selling of ABC, the partnering with ESPN, and now it has uh, charter to resolve. And it's really hard to judge this company on any kind of op metrics now. It's all about these deals and what it can do. And this is much more existential for Disney than it is for Charter. The thing to realize about Charter and cable companies in general right now is they used to be scared to death of these fights because the programmers would always win and they'd pull the programming right around something like Monday Night Football and it would have to force a resolution because the cable companies couldn't withstand the pressure. 
Right now, cable companies have become pretty indifferent to their margins on the video side of their business. It's all about the broadband business, increasingly the mobile telephony business, but it's not about the video business anymore. And that's why charter's ability to withstand pressure here is a whole different dynamic. And so, yes, this could really be a uh, watershed event in terms of the programming side of the industry and have they lost their leverage if they have lost their leverage probably deserve to be re-rated downward and so this is really one to watch this is sort of a, a glimpse of the future tom if you will i mean we all or so many people have been uh, talking about the death of legacy tv the, the the death of of cable the cable bundle and here we are in the precipice how do you think about the economics if disney were to just go you know, fast forward to direct to consumer. What does that mean? Can you just sort of walk us through the thinking? Uh, yes. Well, first you have the issue of all media companies are trying to milk their legacy businesses to uh, get as much cash as they can to support the development of their streaming businesses. And so we all know about cord cutting. This is this is cord haircutting, meaning even with the people who get the bundle, the issue is here, will Charter have the right to take the biggest channel, ESPN, and distribute it to fewer people who have the bundle, meaning lowering those economics coming out of the legacy business, having less money to support the development of the streaming business. Now, coming the other way, Charter says, hey, we want all your streaming businesses for free. We want to include those in the bundle. Why? Because you've taken all the best programming off your linear channels and moved it to streaming, and yet our subscribers are paying more than ever for the programming that you are charging us for. So they should get the streaming services for free. Now, that's not sustainable for Disney or the other legacy media companies with streaming but there's probably going to have to be some kind of compromise that Charter distributes those streaming services at some kind of discounted price. And Disney looks to get Charters and the other cable operators' shoulders behind their streaming business, which are very under-distributed relative to Netflix and how much distribution there is of cable subs. Tom, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. What do you think is the thing that Disney's most likely to give up? They have to give up something. Uh, I think they will probably give up how much of the cable base of charter needs to get ESPN. Uh, that's probably something in the 80 or so percentage now that they have to distribute ESPN to 80% of their subscribers. Uh, they'll, they'll lower that threshold. I think it's just very difficult to uh, say in a streaming era with more with more consumer choice, somehow uh, all cable households, even those that don't want sports, have to take the sports tier and, and pay more. So there'll probably be some give there. Much harder to give on uh, getting these streaming services for free. Although, as I said, there's probably some compromise where they become distributors of streaming services at some discounted price. Tom, it is always great to see you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Tom Rogers. Are you going to say it? I can smell the leather <laughs> mahogany and the cognac. And I mean, that's a great a stud. That man's a stud. Total. He knows it. He doesn't even, he doesn't well, even shy from it. Yeah, he's back. He's, he's back. back. I didn't bring him back. I didn't do that. <laughs> All right. Good to Love see you again, Tom. <laughs>
<laughs> Carter, what does Disney, I mean, is there hope for Disney? I mean, look, there is, as a general rule, you try to avoid buying stocks in downtrends. It's tempting. I'm constantly holding my own hand off the buy button. But wait for it to bottom and turn. That's what a bearish to bullish reversal is. The problem is once they've reversed and started to go up, you're like, darn it, I was looking at this thing at 20, now it's 38. It's better to pay up, let it turn. When it's in a downtrend, it's just, just guessing. Coming up, some news that could help you sleep at night. It might not be all good dreams for one medical device maker. Hmm. One Wall Street firm is downgrading ResMed and what weight loss drugs have to do with it. We'll bring you the skinny on that ahead. But first, high times for the cannabis stocks. Will this dope rally? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I've never said that word ever before. Dope, dope rally. Continue. Are the gains already baked in? Our traders hash it out oh. right after the oh, break. Oh, wow. Well, you didn't that say That is an Mark your calendars for an exclusive interview with Goldman Sachs Chairman and CEO David Solomon. David Faber sits down with a financial exec Thursday, 4.15 Eastern. That's right here on CNBC. Well, cannabis stocks extending their smoking hot run today. Green Thumb, Terrasen, Curalee, Verano, Tilray, they've all been on a tear since the potential of a marijuana rescheduling started to gain steam last week. How much higher can these names go? Tim, I think you said initially you thought that this could be a tripling of the stocks. Yeah, well, look, uh, there's if you see, look, the last couple of days, both the volumes that these chair, they've traded probably 10 times volume of the previous six months. And if you look at where there was some short positioning out there, there was also just uh, no new net money coming into the space. The, 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 the headlines here are that cannabis, good politics. Um, and the Biden administration came out on Friday, a couple of days after uh, HHS, has come out, HHS had come out and basically said, we've given the FDA's uh, recommendation that cannabis be rescheduled to Schedule 3 uh, over to the DOE. Uh, and excuse me, you know, you've got a DEA, excuse me, you've got a dynamic where I just I feel like. The, the industry suddenly has a different foundation under it, and it has a different foundation because the Biden administration now says we've always supported cannabis, which isn't true, um, except for that it's good politics right now. And the cycle is here. Um, if you look at a company like Green Thumb, which is the largest position in my ETF, so full disclosure, I mean, they're buying back stock. They just announced a, a share buyback. Some of these companies actually have the wherewithal to do that. Some of these companies, as we said, the profitability uh, that comes from paying you know, essentially non-punitive taxes because of Schedule 2 which could be removed, is something that changes their landscape almost overnight. All right. Well, the MSOS cannabis ETF soaring 18% just today. It's now up 66% in the past week. And options traders are betting that this wild run higher isn't over yet. Mike Coe's got the action. Hey, Mike. Yeah, so it traded more than three and a half times its average daily options volume. And those volumes are already elevated as we highlighted some of the activity we saw in this one last week. One of the trades that I saw today with calls outpacing push that caught my eye, the December 8 calls, we saw a purchase of 2,685 of those. Buyer paid $1.52 a contract. This trader is actually rolling a position up from the December 5s, which they opened up about two weeks ago today. That a very profitable trade. And there's a lot more open interest on those strikes as well. So it does seem like they are uh, pressing their bullish bets in the area. Wow. Mike, thanks. Mike Coe. Uh, we've got a news alert here on the FTC's antitrust suit against Amazon. Seema Modi's got the details. Seema. 
Hey, Melissa, Wall Street Journal is reporting that the FTC antitrust suit against Amazon is now set for later this month. It comes after negotiations between the two parties failed to make any progress, resulting in an impasse, pushing lawmakers to move forward with a lawsuit after Amazon failed to offer concessions. That's Wall Street Journal quoting people familiar with the situation. Now, this lawsuit alleges that Amazon favors or prioritizes its own products over competitors on its site. Melissa? Seema, thanks. Seema Modi. Coming up, could the popularity of weight loss drugs be a nightmare for ResMed? The surprising ripple effects of getting skinny and the socks that could be most impacted when Fast Money returns. Shares of ResMed tumbling to their lowest level since May 2020 today after UBS downgraded the healthcare stock, citing potential side effects from weight loss. Analysts saying that if people are less overweight, there will be less demand for ResMed sleep apnea products. Let's bring in Dr. Kavita Patel for more on this. She's an NBC News medical contributor and former White House health policy director during the Obama administration. Um, Dr. Patel, thanks so much for joining us. And in, in specific, they're not, the analyst isn't just saying, if this, then maybe this. Uh, he's specifically citing a study that Eli Lilly is doing called the Summit OSA study, which, study, which studies obstructive sleep apnea and the use of Manjaro. Uh, and he's saying that based on the literature so far, it looks like this will go through that will allow greater access to the drug for those suffering from sleep apnea and therefore the effect on ResMed. How do you start thinking about the side effects, for lack of a better term, of people losing yeah. weight and therefore having an impact on other industries or other drugs or other treatments? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think this is disrupting not just kind of much of what we've seen with companies like ResMed, which really have specialized in sleep apnea devices, but any of the medical technology areas that have really been helping with what we do have, which is an obesity epidemic. So in thinking about not just the GLP agonists, I think the Manjaro study was quite interesting. We've had data that's come out of almost every major manufacturer that has pointed to other kind of side effects around heart disease. And then, of course, as you mentioned, the very important side effect of weight loss and all of its other downstream effects. I think we're going to see incredible shifts. I think there's a big kind of aha moment that has to happen, though, Melissa, because we're projecting to see GLP agonists in this sector growing to as high as $60 billion in the next decade. But if you look, even just a year ago, we saw many analyst reports that showed the increasing trends in obesity causing such demands on these exact same companies, which we're now seeing downgraded. Looking at Asia alone and what they project for their increase in obesity, you could look at that as an opportunity for this GLP market if they can deal with the supply efficiently. But you also have to think about if they can't, it's an opportunity for many of these services to expand and potentially grow. So I think a lot of people are looking at ResMed and saying maybe this was too soon to downgrade. That's Karen. Thanks for being on. One of the other um, benefits that some have talked about is with addiction. And that sort of opens up a whole other right. avenue of potential, I guess, uh, losers and winners. Do you think that it will have that positive effect? We're already seeing some of those first kind of inclinations around addiction, firstly around food addiction. And then, of course, we're talking about other substances that people can be addicted to, anything from alcohol to marijuana to um, both legal and illegal substances. Addiction can take many forms. And I do think this is opening up more research and opportunities to kind of deal with those areas. But I also think that then we'll see have, what I've seen the industry do is tailor to these services really well. Look at how quickly some of the kind of telemedicine companies sprouted up that really 
tailored on getting these GLP agonists to patients more quickly, dealing with the prior offs, dealing with any of the insurance hassles and woes. And then we dealt with the supply chain problems. If you think about the analogy, kind of the analogous needs in the addiction space, I forecast the exact same thing to happen, kind of these wraparound services that help people they didn't think about food addiction before. Now they do. And it opens up both an opportunity to create a new channel and distribute this current set of drugs. Uh, you know, the, the narrative around this drug, Dr. Patel, right now is that it, it's a potential cure-all for so many different big, right. big problems in society. I mean, is it really the holy grail? I mean, is, there's got to be a catch, right? There's always a catch to everything. There what do you think is. that could be? I think we're seeing it playing out with some patients right now. Look, we've talked a little bit about some of the side effects with Ozempic specifically on stomach paralysis or what they call gastroparesis. And then we've also talked about side effects. They're, they're not trivial to talk about the GI side effects of these drugs. And that for some patients, it's a non-starter, especially if you've had a certain history of liver disease or certain chronic conditions. So I don't think of anything as kind of this like magic silver bullet. I've never seen that in medicine. What I do think is happening is that you're seeing a class of drugs and then the downstream next generation of drugs that has the potential to change kind of what we talk about with lifelong expectancy mortality and especially to combat such a problem. But as you and I have talked about, all of us have discussed that this means that people are on these drugs forever. This is not a one and done type of thing. And I think after a couple of years, we're going to have to look at where the data settles on what happens to patients after they stop taking the drug or what they do if they only took it for 10 pounds of weight loss, which I don't think is appropriate, which is why it's not a magic bullet. Dr. Patel, thank you. Kavita Patel. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Carter, how do these uh, Lily, Novo, well, those are different, but the ones that have been whacked, like insulin and Dexcom, mm. the sleep apnea drugs, the diabetes drugs, those companies are, are, are basically acting as though this is a silver bullet yeah. and this is the end. And we just heard, and I think we'd all agree, there are no silver bullets, one. And two, what does happen three, five years from now when we start to get different studies to like, wait a minute, these are the trade-offs and they weren't worth it or they were, but only for a certain group. All right. Up next, final trades. Trade, we talked about Blackstone. We talked about its inclusion in the. This is not the reason to buy the stock. It really is a, a story of growth and recurring assets. I think they've put a floor under some of the real estate issues. Karen. Yes, about a year ago to this week, I bought my first one-year treasury. Oh, did you have yes, cake? I did not, but I'm going to do it again <laughs> when it roll. It will roll it over this week. Garden. Restaurant stocks are under pressure. McDonald's is the biggest of all, and I would sell it. Congrats to the entire crew that put this yes, together. Nice they did a great nice job. Great to be here. Yes. See the Oracle upgrade there, sister, in earnings? Mm -hmm. That's your final trade. Of course it is. All right. Thank you for watching Fast Money from our brand new set here at the NASDAQ. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. 
What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.